Welcome. Great to be with you again. Today we are going to be studying Hosea chapter 13. We will learn the importance of using your influence for God, using your creativity for God, and using your life for God because it's short. And then the consequences if you do not do those things. So let us look at Hosea chapter 13. We'll find that this passage is also very practical, very relevant for our lives today. There are many principles we can get from this passage and apply right now in whatever situation you are in. So first we'll study verses 1 through 3. When Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He was exalted in Israel, but he incurred guilt through Baal and died. And now they sin more and more, and make for themselves metal images, idols skillfully made of their silver, all of them the work of craftsmen. It is said of them, those who offer human sacrifice kiss calves. Therefore they shall be like the morning mist, or like the dew that goes away early, like the chaff that swirls from the threshing floor, or like smoke from a window." Okay, so the first lesson that we're going to get from this passage is to use our influence for God. Here it talks about Ephraim. It says, when Ephraim spoke, there was trembling and he was exalted. So Ephraim was one of Joseph's two sons and Joseph was given a double blessing. Joseph was a a special tribe, an important tribe, a powerful tribe. So Ephraim had was the Ephraim was the most powerful tribe in the northern kingdom. Ephraim had a very strong position within Israel. When Ephraim spoke, people listened. Ephraim had a position of influence. And so we see here this word but. But so Ephraim has a position of influence, but But what? This is a very important word in the Bible. But Ephraim did not use his influence to encourage his brethren to follow God. It says, but he incurred guilt through Baal and died. So Ephraim had a high position, a position of influence, but used that influence in the wrong way to actually ensnare the people of Israel. And as a result, died. That means lost his position, was judged. So there's an expectation that Ephraim should use his influence for good, But he didn't, instead becoming a snare. That reminds us of a passage in Galatians 5.9. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. That's quite similar to the saying, one bad apple spoils the whole crate. Peer pressure is strong. So Ephraim and its leaders, they had a choice. They could use their influence for good or evil. They chose to do evil. They affected the entire nation in a very negative way. So there are two applications for us. First, God has put you into a certain position, a certain place, certain situation in your life so that you can use your influence there for good. You're called to shine the light of Christ into the darkness. You can be a voice of truth in your family. You can stand up for justice in the workplace. You can be an advocate for the weak in society. God uses the church as a whole, but he also uses individual believers, temples of the Holy Spirit. We as the church, as temples of the Holy Spirit, can act as a restraining influence, that is, restraining evil and sin in the world. We can act as a voice for good, for righteousness, for justice, for compassion. But when a believer is silent in the face of evil, that restraint is not effective. Sinners are emboldened. So Ephraim did not use his position or his influence for the Lord. What about you? What position do you have? Perhaps you're a parent. Perhaps you're a boss at a company. 
Uh, perhaps you have some influence in your community. Even if you are none of those things, you still have influence in your family, in your workplace, in your school, in church, somewhere. So I'd like you to think for a moment about the circles, the people that you hang out with. Where do you have some influence? And then choose one of those areas that you have influence, maybe family, school, or church, or work. And then consider what is one way you can be an influence for good in that place, to influence people in a positive way. If you need to pause the video for a moment to write that down, then please do so. Now, the second application and reminder to us is that peer pressure is strong. Uh, the first king of the northern kingdom, after he split from the southern kingdom, the first one of the first things he did was to set up the uh, kind of false uh, religion of the northern kingdom uh, with the golden calves and uh, the false place of worship and basically the false religion there. That was one of the first things he did, and it had a very long-lasting and very negative effect upon the northern kingdom. Peer pressure is very strong. Proverbs 13.20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Will suffer harm. Who is a fool? Well, the Bible also tells us who a fool is. Psalm 14.1 The fool says in his heart, there is no God. A foolish person is someone who does not recognize God, God's power, God's influence in this world. That is foolish. Now, we cannot leave this world. We cannot avoid all kinds of influences. We have to be in it, of course, to influence others. But this warns us about being a companion of or being a close friend with fools or people who defy God. This means don't get too close. Don't spend too much time with people who are a bad influence. That certainly applies to marriage. It can apply to dating. It can apply to business partnerships. It can apply to close friendships. Choose wise companions for yourselves. Uh, parents, you should also help your children to choose wise companions. So the first lesson we get from verse 1 of Hosea 13 is the importance of using our influence for God. Ephraim had influence, but he did not use it for the Lord. Now the second thing we see is from verse 2. We see that they made uh, idols as that they idols were skillfully made of their silver all of them the work of craftsmen. If you were to look at those idols, you would see great craftsmanship. The best craftsmen were the ones making the idols. They were, they were skillful, crafted by experts. But these were just things, things made by man, invented, formed out of materials which were created by the real God. These idols were actually a visible symbol of the foolishness of man. It's the height of folly to... Worship something which you make by yourself. But that's what they did. Now, idols could be very elaborate, but they're elaborate hoaxes. There are many reasons why idols gain popularity. One of them is just the industry and the economy of it. People get rich by making and selling idols. I've been to shops, streets uh, in the town where I live in Guangzhou, China. I've been to streets which are near a Buddhist temple that are just filled with idols. Shop after shop after shop in every shop having thousands and thousands of idols which they are selling. It is a very profitable business. These things are nowadays often mass produced at factories and it's a big business. Now, even in the time of Paul in the New Testament in the book of Acts, when he came into uh, the city and he was preaching the gospel, 
the idol makers who are also they they dealt with silver they made silver idols they were very upset because their business was being hurt because when people believed in god they no longer bought idols their business was being hurt and so they started off kind of like a, a jihad or a war cry about you know protecting their business um but actually they were phrasing it in such a way that it was giving glory to to their god uh, to their false god, maybe Artemis. So idols are a big business. People were angry when their business uh, wasn't working so well. So we see here, okay, people are skillful. People are good at creating things and crafting things. But we need to make sure that the things we create, the things we craft are things which God wants us to do and things which gives him glory. Like use our creativity to glorify God, not for ourselves or just for profit making only. Uh, my sons at one point had a business project. They made homemade muffins and then a coconut drink. So they made a sign. They went out in the neighborhood. They advertised these things. They set up a booth for selling. But first, before they started, they prayed for God's blessing. And then when they sold these treats, they said, God bless you. At the end of the day, they, they counted their money, they prayed, and they thanked God for what they made, and then they also set aside some of their profits for offering. So it was a creative thing, which they did, but they gave honor to God, and they used their creativity in a positive way from start to finish. Their skills were used in a good way, and God was glorified in the process. So it's... A shameful thing that people use their creativity to make this idol and then worship this idol and it causes others to turn away from God. So consider the work of your hands. Now an idol is like the absolute worst thing. Like you almost cannot make a worse thing than an idol because it's totally the opposite of following after God. Maybe you think, oh, I don't make idols. What do you make? What is the work of your hands? What does your business create? What are you creating? I hope it's not something which might turn people away from God. Is it good to work in like the cigarette industry or the alcohol industry or the gambling industry? You know, are these things good? Do we want to create these things with our creativity and our skill which are actually ensnaring people or enslaving people? Uh, or maybe the kind of books that we write or the kind of media that we produce. Is this something which brings glory to God? Or not. Certainly there are other things which could be neutral. <clears throat> uh, and then there are other things which are very positive. And some things which maybe we think are neutral, maybe they aren't either. Like even Coca-Cola or something. That That's very unhealthy for people's bodies. Now I'm not suggesting that it, it's totally wrong to have a job in these kinds of industries. Uh, it's something that we need to think about. And we need to ask, am I using my skills that God has given me to create something good for him or not? How can we use those creative abilities for God's glory? That's, that's what our focus should be. That's what our life direction should be too. Now the third verse here is about the brevity of life. Therefore they shall be like the morning mist or like the dew that goes early away. Like the chaff that swirls from the threshing floor or like smoke from a window. So therefore because, because they make, produce, worship idols, they will be like mist, like dew like chaff, here one moment, gone the next, and leaving nothing behind, leaving no good impact on this world. 
our life is short. We are also taught this in Psalms 90 verse 10. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They're soon gone and we fly away. The whole chapter of Psalms 90 is about developing perspective of life. And the proper perspective is that our life is short. So we should use it well. Our years are soon gone. Our time flies away. When you're young, you think, oh, I have forever. But the older you get, the less time you realize that you have. Now, there's a difference between the righteous and the wicked. Both of them live, you know, similar length lives. But the wicked leave nothing behind. They're like chaff, just blown away by the wind, forgotten. They leave nothing positive. They leave no benefit, no legacy for the Lord. Now, a short life is not to be feared for believers because we know we have eternity with God. But a short and empty life is to be feared. We do not want to lead an empty life. Many people talk about leaving a legacy behind. They want to make an impact on the world. So they ask the question, what is my legacy? Actually, that's a good question to ask. What is my legacy? What are you leaving behind? What are you leaving behind for your kids, for the next generation, for the world? For those without God, there is... Not really a good legacy. There could be things we leave behind, technology or innovations or or things, but all of that is short-term, forgotten. We want to leave a positive mark on this world. C.T. Studd once wrote a poem and he said, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's very true. We have one life, it will soon be gone, but what we do for Christ will remain. So what will you leave behind? What mark will you leave on the world. If you're a parent, the first place you should look is to your children, to leave behind children who are walking with God, who can carry on the torch and who can keep shining the light and influencing even the next generation after you're gone. So training your children to know God and to spread the word of God is the first place you should start. But even if you don't have children, you can have spiritual children. You can still share the gospel. You can still make disciples. And these can impact others for eternity. When you teach people the word of God, you encourage them to follow it. You are investing in eternity. You are impacting lives for eternity. Even when you just obey God and you are a model, you are a living testimony of someone who follows after God, you're impacting others around you. So before you invest in something, ask yourself, what difference will this make in a hundred years or in a thousand years? If it makes no impact beyond the present, maybe it's not worth doing it. Time is short, so don't waste it. If I can just share a personal example for a moment, this is one reason that I like to uh, share these Bible study videos or these Bible study lessons is because these can keep on going either while I'm sleeping or one day after I am gone and hopefully influencing others even many years from now uh, to encourage them to follow after Christ. Uh, My children a long time from now can watch or listen to them or their children or anyone else And hopefully that will make an impact in this world for others. So I'd like you to consider what is the impact uh, that God wants you to make. And there are many, many different ways, lots of different ways, different tools we have which we can make that impact for the Lord. Let us be sowing those seeds in the lives of those around us. All right, let's come forward. Verses 4 through 8, I'll read that. But I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me. Besides me, there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought, 
But when they had gazed, they became full. They were filled, and their heart was lifted up. Therefore they forgot me. So I am to them like a lion, like a leopard I will lurk beside the way. I will fall upon them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open their breasts. I will devour them like a lion as a wild beast would rip them open. Wow, okay, really strong language here. And basically we see in these verses, it's the effect of those who don't do what we learned we should do in the first three verses, which were, number one, use your influence for God. Number two, use your creativity for God. Number three, use your life, because it's short, for God. When you don't do those three things, then this is what will happen. He will fall upon you like a bear robbed of her cubs. Uh, sorry if I didn't have this Bible open just now when I was going through. Apologize, uh, but here, here are the verses. Uh, Hosea 13, 4 through 8. Okay, so this is really, really bad news uh, for those who do not do what we learn to do in the first three verses, who basically reject God and rebel against him. I am the Lord, your God. So God says, look, I have a covenant relationship with you. I have proved myself true to you. I defeated all the Egyptian gods. You have no God besides me. But Israel still abandoned their faith in the Lord. Uh, God says, look, I knew you. Uh, I've known you. I know who you are. I've, I've seen you all your growing up years. I knew you in the land of drought. The Lord was their shepherd. Without him, they had nothing. He led them into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. He raised them up. He made them a nation. So what happened when he blessed them? What happened when he filled them up? This is what happened. Verse 6. When they had grazed, they became full. They were filled. Their heart was lifted up. Therefore, they forgot me. Sad. Sad account. Instead of thanking God and giving him glory, the people became prideful. They forgot it was God. God is the one who blessed them with all these things. History was changed in their minds. God was taken out of the equation. History was rewritten. They made themselves the heroes. This often happens in rags to riches stories. At the beginning, the protagonist is very humble, down to earth, loyal to his friends, loyal to his spouse. The spouse probably loved him even when he was poor. But over time, he gets successful and the fame and the riches corrupt and he changes, and his friends and his spouse are forgotten. His ego and self-importance grow. He forgets his roots, and in his pride, he is destroyed. Tragedy. When that happens, there is none left to mourn him. That is what happens to Israel here. God filled them up. When they became full, they became proud, and they forgot God. I hope that does not describe you or me. Let us not forget God. When God gives us success, your degree, your diploma, your promotion in work, your project is finished, whatever area you have success in, don't forget God. Thank Him and realize that He was there with you from the very beginning, every step of the way. Also in the book of Daniel, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is the same way. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, his heart became arrogant uh, because of all that he had and he looked at from the roof of his palace, he looked out over the city and thought, man, I'm great. Look at what I've done. Look at my kingdom. Look at all the things I've built. I'm really a great king. I'm really wonderful. I'm the head of gold. And he gave glory to himself. And God wasn't happy, so God humbled him. So God does not want us to look at our achievements and then think, yep, I'm the man. He wants us to be humble and to realize that they are from him. 
Give him the glory that he deserves. So whenever you have a success, just take a moment, stop, and thank God for allowing it to happen. God giveth, and God taketh away. So God describes himself as being like a lion, like a leopard, and like a bear to them. Uh, all three of those uh, are very scary predators. So in other words, God was their protector, uh, but now he would become a wild beast and devour her. It's really a, a terrible image, right? Sin is terrible. The judgment for sin is terrible. That should have been a very frightening thing for them to hear that God is like a wild beast coming to devour them. And God was saying this to kind of wake them up from their spiritual complacency, their lethargy, and come back to him. Unfortunately, they did not get the memo. All right, let's go forward. Verses 9 through 16. He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. Where now is your king to save in all your cities? Where are your rulers? Those of whom you said, give me a king and princess. I gave you a king in my anger. I took him away in my wrath. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is kept in store. The pangs of childbirth come for him. But he is an unwise son. For at the right time he does not present himself at the opening of the womb. I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. Though he may flourish among his brothers, the east wind, the wind of the Lord shall come, rising from the wilderness, and his fountain shall dry up. His spring shall be parched. It shall strip his treasury of every precious thing. Samaria shall bear her guilt because she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. Their little ones shall be dashed in pieces. Their pregnant women ripped open. Okay, again, very strong language is written against them because of their sin and their disobedience. He destroys you, O Israel. All right, very strong words. Then he comes into talking about their king. And verse 11 is quite interesting. He says, I gave you a king in my anger and I took him away in my wrath. So if you remember back when Israel first asked for a king, they were basically rejecting God and saying, we don't want God to be our king. We want our own king. We want to be like all the other nations. And God warned them of the negative effects of having a king. They said, we don't care. We want it anyway. So God's like, okay, you made your bed. Now you need to lie in it. You want a king? I warned you. Not It's not a good idea. You want it anyway? Okay, I'll give you a king. And then, of course, they, you know, having a king had a lot of negative consequences for them as a people, especially the northern kingdom. Their kings, every single one of them, was an idol worshiper uh, who rebelled against the Lord. They did not have even a single good king. So giving them a king was a form of judgment. Uh, they would have to learn the hard way that God was a better king than man. And then he took away a king too. So God was going to judge the nation. They asked for a king, they got one, but no longer would they have a king either. So they were going to be, they were they were not going to be independent any longer. They would be servants of a foreign king, even a worse fate than having their own evil king. It's kind of better to have your own evil king who's a tyrant over you than a foreign one who's a tyrant over you because the foreign one will treat you even worse. So what does it say? The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is kept in store. Hosea 7.2, Hosea 9.9 says the Lord remembers your sins. Okay, He doesn't forget your sins. It's quite a frightening thing. 
in chapter 12, we, we learned that their blood guilt would remain upon them. So all of this is a way of saying, you're not forgiven. Okay, I have not removed your sin. You're not forgiven. Judgment is coming. Now that's a frightening thing to have a perfectly just judge who has a perfect memory and knows all of your sins say that your sin, your crimes are still on you. Okay, and you still have to pay the penalty for them. That's a frightening thing. Let's go on. Verse 13, the pangs of childbirth. This is an interesting verse. The pangs of childbirth come for him, but he's an unwise son. For at the right time, he does not present himself at the opening of the womb. Now, what should a baby do? When the pangs of childbirth come, okay, the mother is having those contractions, the child is supposed to come out. Now, if the child does not come out, what's the result? Well, the child will die in the birth canal. The mom might die as well. Death will follow. So God is saying, look, the pangs of childbirth have come. In other words, I've given you warnings, right? I've sent you prophets. I keep telling you, you need to repent. The time is now. Now is the time you need to repent and come out from your sin and return to me. If you don't, if you stay in your situation, then death will follow. So Israel should have repented of its sins a long time ago, uh, but it didn't. So it's like a foolish son who refuses to be born. He does not present himself to God in humility, and then the judgment is going to be poured out, and that will result in death. Now, verse 14, uh, this verse could be a little confusing in ESV. Um, so ESV says, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. And there's a little star here showing there's maybe different ways to translate uh, this verse. Um, it's, it's a little bit jarring when you read that because, wait a minute, you know, the whole passage is saying God is going to judge them, right? Their sin is on them. He has not forgiven them. And then, wait a minute, he's going to ransom them. He's going to redeem them. Uh, so some other translations translate this differently. They translate it more as a question. The NASB translates, shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Shall I redeem them from death? And then basically coming forward, then the answer is no. Uh, compassion is hidden from my eyes. In other words, no, I'm not going to do it. So that's a little bit smoother way to read it and understand it. Uh, certainly, if we look at the whole context, it's clear that God is going to give them judgment unless they repent uh, of their sins. And so we see that even moving forward in verse 16, it says, Samaria shall bear her guilt. Uh, so this chapter concludes with the warning of a coming judgment. She's going to bear her guilt. Someone has to. And really, that's the message of the Old Testament. And that's one reason why the Old Testament is very helpful for us today. We look and see, wow, they sinned, they disobeyed God, there was idol worship and all these things. So God gave them his word. He gave them his commandments. They failed. He sent them prophets to tell them to repent, and they often didn't. They didn't take the way out that God gave them. And so the lesson is you are in your sin, and you can't get out of it, and you need help. And the lesson of the whole Bible, when we look at the New Testament, is Jesus came. Jesus came to help us with our sins. Jesus came to be a substitute for our sins. So we basically have two choices. Either you can bear it yourself or you can come to God through Jesus and then Jesus will bear it for you. Someone has to bear it. If you don't come to Jesus, then you are bearing it on your own. There's a choice. Do you want to bear your own guilt? Do you want to bear your own sins? Of course, the wise answer is 
No, you don't. Uh, and I don't believe you do. Thank God you don't have to. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus died on the cross, so that you don't have to bear your sins. When we look at this passage, we, we're reminded we are not better than they are. We are sinners too. We often are prideful about our own achievements, prideful about our own successes. We often don't turn to the Lord for help. We depend on ourselves and our own strength. And we have many different kinds of idols, probably not a gold or a silver idol, but other kinds of things which we raise up as being first place, really, really important in our heart. We need to repent of those idols. We need to come before the Lord and say, I don't want to bear that sin myself. Please, will you bear it for me? And I hope that you come before the Lord and pray that prayer again and confess your sins to him. And he is faithful and just to, when you confess your sins, to purify you from those sins and to cleanse out you from all unrighteousness, as he promises in 1 John 1, 9. So I hope this passage was encouraging to you to use uh, your influence for God in whatever place he's put you, to use your creativity and the work of your hands, whatever you're building, let that be for God, leaving a legacy for God, and to use your life because it is short for him, leaving something behind and investing your life in building up his kingdom, not your own, because his is the eternal one. I hope that this passage blessed you and will change your life in some way. And I would encourage you to join us next time. The next chapter will be Hosea 14, the last one in this book. Please do like and subscribe. Uh, this is a simple way to support this channel and to uh, spread its message so that more people can get that content themselves too. So thank you so much and I hope to see you next time. God bless. To see our entire library of over 800 Bible studies, please visit our website at www.studyandobey.com.